And so sometimes when we think about the gospel, we think about the blessings of the gospel, but we don't think enough about the terms of the gospel. Because the terms of the gospel are, Jesus is king and you need to submit to him and you need to change your ways. You are listening to the Hope Valley Podcast, a weekly production of Hope Valley Church in Winchester, Virginia, with your host, Pastor Sam Rogers. Well, hello, and welcome to Sunday Morning with Hope Valley Church. I'm Pastor Sam. I'm the lead pastor here at Hope Valley, and today we're picking up, this is part four in our verse-by-verse study through the book of Acts. And today we're going to be picking up in Acts chapter 2, verse 14, which is where we left off uh, in our last uh, lesson. And uh, let me just give you some helpful background information uh, before we launch in. What we're going to do today is we're going to read through uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 14 through 40. We're going to break it down just to understand what is it saying, and then we're going to talk together about what does it mean for us today. All right. Uh, so just some just some background information to get you caught up to where we're going to find ourselves is that Jesus had told his disciples to wait for the Holy Spirit before they began preaching. And uh, just before verse 14, the Holy Spirit had filled the 12 apostles and the other followers of Jesus, right? He'd come and arrived just the way that Jesus had promised the Holy Spirit would, and he'd filled them with his power, and they began speaking in the languages of different Jewish groups that were in Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost, which is really miraculous, right? And this had just drawn the crowd's attention uh, because, as I was sharing in the last lesson, you know, they would have all had a common language and a way of speaking to each other, and yet they were hearing the disciples speaking in their native hometown languages, which you know, they really wouldn't have known those languages otherwise. It was truly miraculous. And so this had, this had drawn the crowd's attention. And it had stirred up various opinions about what's happening, right? We, we saw that some people were amazed by it and said, well, what does all this mean? And other people dismissed it and said, oh, they're just drunk. Don't worry about it. All right. So we're going to pick up here in verse 14 because we're going to see Peter stand up and really address the crowds and talk to them about what they see happening. And so the question that I want us to have kind of in the back of our minds as we're reading through verse 14 through 40 is this question, what do we need to tell people about Jesus? That's the question I want you to be thinking as we read through it. What do we need to tell people about Jesus? Okay, so let's uh, pick up here in verse uh, 14, Acts chapter 2. It says, But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy." And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapors of smoke, and the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord 
shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. And God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I will not be shaking. Therefore my heart was glad, and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh, was, uh, my flesh will also dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life, and you will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers and sisters, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ for he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Like all the house of Israel, therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. All right, so there is a lot there that Peter is saying, right? And so we're going to slow down. We're going to kind of unpack that because we see Peter really appealing uh, with them. He, I mean, first, right, he just he just kind of says to them, you know, hey, this isn't what it looks like. They're not drunk. This is actually a promise of God. And he really kind of breaks down a lot of uh, Old Testament prophecy that the Jews would have been familiar with, right? And so we're going to kind of walk through and see the way that Peter uh, breaks down uh, the Old Testament prophecy, the way that he explains it, and really the message that he has for those people. Because again, the question we want to kind of answer as we read through this, right, is what do we need to tell people about Jesus? And so uh, let's go back to verse 15 through 17, right? Because here, what we simply see Peter doing is, you know, he's bringing order to the situation and he's clarifying what is happening, right? So first, he just wants to end the confusion and make it clear to people what they're looking at, right? Because he says, um, 
you know, these people, verse 15, these people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only the third hour of the day. Uh, third hour of the day would have been about 9 a.m. So Peter's basically saying, hey, it's way too early in the day for these guys to be drunk. So they're not drunk. But this is actually something that God had promised through the prophet Joel, and we're seeing it happen now, right? So he brings order, he clarifies what's happening, and he corrects some of the crowd uh, on what they had mistaken it for, and he explains what is happening to those people who were confused. And he reminds them, and this is one of the things we'll see him do through his whole sermon here in, the, in these you know, 26 verses, is he, is he reminds them of the promises of God. He tells them of these promises are being fulfilled right now in front of them. So it's really a powerful message that Peter is giving them. Again, he's filled with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is giving him these words to say. And so we really want to pay attention when thinking, okay, this is really one of the first times that we see uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit, the disciples of Jesus really communicating the gospel message. So we're going to break down what were the components of that message that Peter was inspired to share with these people. And uh, as, we'll, as we'll look into this a little bit more next week, uh, about 3,000 people uh, come to uh, believe in Jesus and are saved that day. So first, right, Peter just brings order to the situation and he clarifies uh, what's happening for everybody. Uh, then we'll see here in verse 22 through 23 that Peter really confronts them, right? I mean, he just comes right out of the gate and he just confronts them about not only their sin, but also the fact that they've rejected Jesus. He actually points out to them that God had given them so much opportunity to see and believe, right? I mean, look here in verse 22, it says, Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works. Right? He's saying, listen, you guys ought to have recognized Jesus for who he is, and yet you didn't, and in fact, you had him killed. So, uh, Peter's not coming in soft, right? He's not coming in sugarcoating and gentle and just telling them all the good stuff. He actually launches in by pointing out their sin. He confronts them about their sin and the rejection of Jesus. That's the first thing we see Peter do as he's really sharing the gospel message. Okay, keep that in your mind. Uh, and then I'm going to skip down here to verse 32 because he, right, he, re, he, he recites a lot of Old Testament prophecy. But the point of that really is that Peter is explaining to the crowd who Jesus really is, right? He points to the things that they are currently experiencing actually as evidence of Jesus being what he claims Jesus is. And what is he saying Jesus is? He's saying that Jesus is both Savior, right? He makes that very clear. Jesus is both Savior, but he also makes it abundantly clear that Jesus is King. And in fact, he is really emphasizing something that they, they definitely would have picked up on this because they, you know, the people he's speaking to were very familiar with Jewish scripture and very familiar with Jewish history. And so he's saying, listen, Jesus is the son of David that was prophesied to sit on David's kingly throne forever over the house of Israel. So he's making a, a huge claim about who Jesus was. He's saying Jesus is not only your savior, he's actually the, the king, like the king we've been waiting for, the king that even David prophesied about and was waiting for, the king that whose, whose body would not rot in the grave and wouldn't be abandoned to, to hell, right? Uh, so he said, look, look here at verse 32, just to emphasize this point. He says, this Jesus God raised up 
And of that, we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. So there's this, again, this clear connection between the, the kingship, the lordship of Jesus Christ, and the evidence of the Holy Spirit's action that they're currently witnessing as evidence that Jesus really is who he claimed to be. He really is that king that Jews and Israel have been waiting for, right? Uh, and then the last point I want to make here is that, uh, is that the next thing we see Jesus do, or, I'm sorry, Peter do, and he does this in verse 37 through 40, is the, the next step is Peter explains to them the need for repentance. And I, I love this verse, verse 37, right? It said, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? And you can kind of imagine their attitude, right? Like Peter's laying a lot on them and he's saying, listen, you re- Jesus is the king. He's the king we've been waiting for. And God proved it. God proved it time and time again through the evidence and the miracles that Jesus did. And he's proving it once and for all by raising Jesus from the dead. And you guys killed him, right? And, 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 and you're, this is bad, right? This is really, you guys are, you, you know, this is, a, this is a problem. And this is what Peter is, is pointing out to them. And so it says when they heard this, right, they were like cut to the heart, like they were so convicted. And you, you can almost see the desperation, right, in their voice. They're like, they're like, brothers, like, what do we do? And Peter said to them, repent. Repent. That's what you need to do. Right? Peter explains to them the need for repentance. Because repentance is not just, I just want to make this clear, repentance is not just agreement or belief. It's a change of heart. It's a change of behavior. Right? Peter is making a clear connection uh, between the reality of Jesus' identity and the only appropriate response to it. All right? I want to say that again. Peter is making a clear connection between the reality of Jesus' identity, the reality that he is king. He's making a clear connection between that and and the only appropriate response to it, which is to receive it and to submit to it, right? Because if Jesus is king, that means he's in charge, not me, not you, not us. And we've been living like we're in charge, and so we need to repent. That means we need to change our behavior and our approach to life, and we need to come under his authority as the king of our lives. This is what Peter's saying. So when he says, listen, he's king and you killed him and God's giving you the evidence that he's the king that you need to follow. And they're like, what do we do? He's like, you need to change what you're doing. You need to repent. You need to follow Jesus. You need to be baptizing his name, right? Um, and this kind of calls back to, you know, Luke, of course, is the author of the book of Acts. So if we go back into the gospel of Luke, where he's recorded, you know, the history of Jesus' life and the disciples' life with him, uh, in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, Jesus asked his disciples this question. He said to them, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? So even Jesus, right, with his disciples, he made that clear connection. If I am king, then that means that you do what I say. And that might sound so harsh to us, but uh, part of the reason why, again, we kind of buck authority and we don't like authority and we don't want to listen to authority is frankly because we're so accustomed to people being really bad at being in charge. You know, we're so used to authority totally failing and totally, you know, corrupt and just 
you know, human authority is often just a nightmare, right? I mean, sometimes people do it, you know, pretty well, but more often than not, like we just mess it up. And so as humans, we've come to have a really negative view of authority. But if you had a perfect authority, an authority that actually did everything the right way, that would be exactly the kind of person that you would want to follow. And that's what Peter is saying Jesus is. And that's why the appropriate response is to repent. You know, there's this quote from Oswald Chambers. He says, Jesus Christ never asked anyone to define his position or to understand a creed, but who am I to you? And Jesus Christ makes the whole of human destiny depend on a man's relationship to himself. And you know, really what Oswald Chambers is referencing here is Luke chapter 9, verse 20, uh, where he says to his disciples, but who do you say that I am? And of course, Peter answered back to Jesus at that time, the Christ of God, right? The one that God has sent and chosen. So this is a really important thing for us to focus on, right? Is because there's, a, there's this clear relationship as we, as we look at the way that Peter articulated what the gospel message was. He, he really focuses on things that, frankly, often we don't focus on anymore. You know, people would say, like, what's the gospel? We would focus on the fact that God loves you and wants to forgive you, which is 100% true, right? Uh, forgiveness of your sins is a central idea of the gospel message, right? Um, and yet, uh, it's not the only idea, and it may not even be the primary one, because we see Peter in what may be really the first really big public presentation of the gospel message in history. What does Peter focus on? And Peter, Peter like lived with Jesus for a few years, right? Like he knew Jesus, and, we, and, and he's speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So we need to really, we really need to focus on, well, how did Peter articulate the gospel message in this moment? Well, what he focused on was the fact that Jesus is king and we need to repent and follow him. And as a result of that, we will receive his love and his forgiveness, right? Because he does love us and he does want to forgive us, uh, but on the terms of us recognizing and receiving him as the king, which is who he is, right? And so sometimes when we think about the gospel, we think about the blessings of the gospel, but we don't think enough about the terms of the gospel. Because the terms of the gospel are, Jesus is king, and you need to submit to him, and you need to change your ways, right? So, without getting too much into the application step, uh, we're going to move in that direction now. I'm just really, as I do every week, I'm going to really invite you to consider these three questions. So now that I've kind of broken down, here's what Acts chapter 2, verse 14 through 40 say. Here's what they, you know, here's what they're saying. Uh, what, what do they mean? What are the big ideas and how do we apply those in our lives? So first question I want you to think about is what are the big ideas that you see in this passage? And then uh, how do those ideas apply in your life? And then what is your next step? Okay, so what's the big idea in the passage? How does it apply in your life? And what is your next step? And as you think about that, let me just give you my answers to those questions as I was reading through this passage and thinking through it. Um, you know, when I think about the big ideas that I see in this passage, first, the first big idea is that the authority, the kingship of Jesus is an essential element of the gospel message. I mean, it's really inescapable from what we just read. 
Uh, I also noticed like the following, uh, the following Jesus means receiving him as the person who sets the rules, the boundaries, and the values for our life, right? Uh, and that this necessarily means turning away from my own path, which is really what repentance means. How do these ideas apply in my life? You know, the first thing I think about is the fact that repentance and submission to Jesus must be part of what I tell other people about him. Uh, I'm really not giving somebody the full gospel message if I don't focus on repentance and submission to Jesus as Lord, uh, because that is that has to be part of what I tell people about him. It's really an essential part of the gospel message. It is an essential part of the good news. Uh, and, the, and the other application I see is that the authority of Jesus in my life is just as beautiful and life-giving as his love and his mercy. So really this is a major perspective change for me and probably for most of us, right? Uh, we wouldn't normally think of, of, of authority as a beautiful life-giving thing. But as I said earlier, that's only because we're used to so many people just really messing it up. It's not because authority is bad, it's because humans are bad at it, okay? And so when I think about Jesus and I think about his authority, I need to recognize, you no, know, the authority that comes from Jesus, the author- what, it, what it's like to be under that authority is beautiful and life-giving. In fact, it's just as beautiful and it's just as life-giving as his love and his mercy are, right? And really, if you think about it, his love and his mercy don't mean nearly as much if he's not the ultimate authority, right? But to receive mercy from the only person who can truly judge you, that is beautiful and that's life-giving. And so the next step I have here written down for myself is I need to submit myself daily to the leading of Jesus as my Lord, right? That really is my next immediate step. I need to submit my, I need to really think of that. Not just receive Jesus' love and his forgiveness and his mercy and his peace, all of which are wonderful, but to recognize that all of those things come into my life when I submit to him as my Lord. Um, And so that's the next step I have written down here. And when I'm doing that, then I'm really in a better place to encourage other people to do the same thing, right? Sometimes it's difficult for us to share the gospel and share the message of Jesus' authority the need for repentance for those because we're not doing that well in our own lives, right? So that's my next step. Um, let me give you a, a, something I encourage you to pray about this week and then a question I really invite you to consider and think through this week. Um, I really encourage you to pray today and this week that God would give us, give you, give me the, uh, the opportunity to share this whole gospel with others. And so that's also going to require not maybe even just the opportunity, but also the boldness and the courage to do that too. But let's pray that God would give us those things so that we can share the whole gospel message. Because it's the whole gospel message that really is life-giving and liberating to people. And then the the question I invite you to just really contemplate and think through this week and, and talk to God about is, how might you need to receive the authority of Jesus in your life right now? So again, as we think about sharing the message of Jesus's lordship with others, before we do that, how might you and I need, how might you need to receive the authority of Jesus in your life right now? So 
think through that question, pray about that this week. And uh, I, I do hope that this has been a helpful time for you, you know, and that, that you're getting a lot out of, you know, uh, just sort of slow verse by verse kind of walk through uh, the book of Acts. Uh, so many practical lessons, again, that we find here in the book of Acts. And so hope that you'll continue with us as we journey through uh, this book over the next, who knows, several weeks, uh, several months, you know. Um, and uh, yeah, I just appreciate you being with us today. We look forward to having you again uh, in our next time together. All right. Bye-bye. We are so glad you have joined us today. To learn more about Hope Valley Church and get access to free resources, just go to www.hopevalley.church. Hope Valley is a church based in Winchester, Virginia that meets in homes around the region. So if you'd like to find out more about home churches, how they work, and how to locate one near you, just go to hopevalley.church/house. Thanks again for joining us and may God bless you today.